Welcome to the search for real answers in a modern world, where challenging topics are met with honest and thoughtful dialogue. This is Truth Seekers Forum. Hey, welcome. I am joined, as always, in the studio with uh, Dr. Adam Nye. This is where you say hello. Hi. There you go. Sorry. Boy. <laughs> I'm awake. Got a doctorate and didn't even get the prompting on that. That's awesome. <laughs> if you want to be a doctor, you can too. And uh, <laughs> there's no way Andy's going to blow this now. And and Andy Lewis. Hello. <laughs> That's how it's done. Well, listen, guys, welcome back. Um, here we are once again, episode three. And um, I want to go ahead and remind our listeners that the, the panel guests do not have uh, an idea. They know what the topic is, but they do not know what the specific questions are. So today's topic, why do Christians describe God as a trinity? Um, I've got uh, my Bible app handy <laughs> and doing a quick search. I do not find the word trinity anywhere in it. Yeah. Pastor Andy, what's the scoop? Well, that's that's a good thing actually to admit, you know, because I know that this can be this can be a question that people, you know, it, it it's just mystery of of that. And if you and if you're gonna believe it, there's a mystery. And if you don't believe it, it just sounds like quackery. <laughs> right. So so let's first of all be really intellectually honest and say, in the Bible you will never read the word Trinity. It's not in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is It is something that was coined as a term by one of the early church fathers named Tertullian, somewhere around the second century. So just being, again, intellectually honest, that's where it's coming from. But it was recognizing from Scripture the triunified nature of God. And so when you're talking about Trinity, first of all, let's be clear what, it, what we're not saying it is. It's not saying there's three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm three different gods. It's not saying that God is somehow divided. Um, not three parts of God. Not three parts of God. It's not saying that God merely manifests himself at different ways at different times. Like if I were to manifest myself as I'm a son in this moment, but then the next moment I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a father and the next moment I'm an uncle. He doesn't manifest. That's so it's not saying that, um, what it does mean, and here's a good classic kind of definition of it, and there's different ways in which the term can change, but it means that there's a one, there's one God with a unified essence who exists in three equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're of one substance, they're of one power, they're of one eternality. That's kind of the, the definition of what it is that we're talking about. So how do we wrap our minds around that? Oh, let me start by saying we don't. Uh, I mean, like it's, it's to be really honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it, it's a. Thanks for tuning in. Catch yeah. us next week. <laughs> I mean, it's it is something I think is at the core of the historic Christian confession mm-hmm. and Christian faith is what I mean by Christian confession. Um, but it's not something that we're supposed to be able to hear and say, "Oh, yeah, that's." There's a I bunch of things that. like that. Yeah. My grandpa's three people and one being. Like, no, <laughs> it's, it, there's no analogy for it. Um, despite, I mean, there's no good ones. There are a bunch of analogies for it, but uh, they all usually just make a mess out of it. It's not supp- something that's supposed to, on the language Andy just used for it, 
make perfect sense. It's it's a fairly baffling mystery to use a, a, a word that we are uh, being humble enough to use. Yeah, it is a mystery. Um, the reason we confess it is because I think the gospel kind of hemmed the church into a corner where it had to. Um, you know, the gospel. Darn it. Yeah, the gospel can, you know confronts the church. And uh, with this claim that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, which obviously is overly brief, but I mean, that's, that's where it starts, that, that there's a church praising and worshiping a man with a human name, you know, Jesus, uh, or, you know, Yeshua, who's the son of a guy, uh, or so it is thought, <laughs> a son of a guy named Joseph, and it is the son of a woman named Mary, and we're, we're, we're worshiping him, we're giving him the worship that only really God is supposed to be due and um, and and Christ seems to to welcome that worship, and the and the reason for that is God has saved His people through Jesus, and it, right there in the Gospels you see it worked out that this this one has come from God, and as a man he is subservient subservient to God's will. He says, "Not my will, but Your will be done," and so he's acting as this this perfect man. But at the same time, toward his people and toward his followers, uh, he's you know he's willing to identify himself with you know I am, uh, of uh, the name for God of the Old Testament. Um, the church didn't immediately get busy with the task of figuring that out philosophically. It just worshipped him. It didn't try to figure out how this guy could be from God and he could be a man and he could also be God. It just worshipped him. It was along the way that people came up with, um, you know some reasonable sounding explanations for what was going on. Um, that there's some kind of triunification within the person of God. Well, no, those actually weren't the first, um, like philosophically worded yeah. ways to do it. Usually they were, they were taking it weird ways. They were, uh, having Jesus be not fully human. Yeah. He, he's just, you know, he's God appearing just as an appearance of man. But if you actually touched him, your hand would go right through the, uh, they call it, Docetism. Um, there's later in, then in the fourth century comes the big. Uh, well, actually, I should say you're right. Tertullian is 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 dealing with the idea of of the Trinity earlier on, um, but when the church gets into its more specific language, yeah. is when it's confronting uh, a controversy earlier on called um, called her- Sorry. A heresy in the fourth century called Arianism, yeah. which this idea that Jesus is, uh, you know, higher than the rest of us. He's before all of creation. And that is because he's the first thing God created. It's this really kind of inventive, creative way of trying to figure out how Jesus can be higher than the rest of creation, but also himself. Not quite God. Not quite God. And that was important because we're supposed to only have one God. So you're trying to philosophically come up with a backstory that makes this gospel thing make sense. But the church, in response to it, says, but wait, that's not the gospel. Because then this guy who comes to us from uh, from God is not actually God. Um, and that's just a problem, because only God can save us from our sin in, in, in relation to him. So it starts with just uh, recognizing the fact that the gospel hinges around the fact that Jesus is God and is fully man. So that's actually the first place this all gets worked out, is that this man, this one person, Jesus, has two natures. But then they kind of work that backward into realizing that this says something about God too then. Right. Because 
for the, you know, the way uh, John 1, 1 puts it, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That, that language just, I mean, it still trips me up, but the early church was like, that is interesting. Yeah. You have a statement of full identity, but then also this like distinction that the, the word is with God. So let's work that out, how Jesus can be God, but he can pray to the father without just talking to himself because there's this like, this, this fellowship. So ultimately, and, and I told myself, I didn't want to, you know, uh, try to say everything on this topic, skipping, skipping, skipping a couple steps. Well, we'd be like a five, We'd be 15 hour podcast. Right. Really, Ultimately, yeah. the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity is just wanting to declare with full faithfulness, full thankfulness, that who God has been for us in the way he saved us by sending us his son and sending us his spirit that that actually corresponds to who God is within himself in eternity. So that, so when God sends a son and pours out his spirit, he's not doing something alien to who he actually is. That in eternity, the father begets a son and the father and son breathe forth this spirit. Um, ultimately, that's, that's the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity is the identity between the God of the gospel and God in himself. So, so, so part of it is this is really interesting. Is that what what where this goes is it's it's kind of talking about it wasn't like God was in sort of one form at one point and goes, oh hey, you know, to interact with human beings, maybe I need to invent a son. Right. You're like, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. Right. And the reason that would be a problem is because then we would we would have to ask the question, well, do we really know anything about this God? Yeah. If he had to do something pretty different than what he actually is mm -hmm. in order to send us his son. And the Trinity says, no, God's just being himself for us. When we see God interacting with us as father sending son and pouring out spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said. I think that where the importance of it lies for me pastorally, not only for my own life, but then as I, you know, I'm working with, with people we're called into relationship with this triunified God. And what ends up happening with a lot of people is they can relate to one member, but often at the expense of others. Right. And that's not, you know, so classically, most people kind of relate with Jesus. He's the good guy who saved me from my sins, but God the Father is like the bad cop and Jesus is doing everything he can to keep the God the Father at bay and not get mad at him. Mm -hmm. And and that is that is so not accurate to the biblical picture of the triunified God. You've got God the Father being the one who, I guess, in essence, sort of hatched the plan of salvation. Mm. I want to say sense, even within that, that's... That's, that's breaking Because there's down one the will, analogy. there's one mind within God. There's one mind. It's a shared right. plan. But you're, there is a fromness yeah. in the Father. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the gospel... And and the son himself are from God. And the son says, "I will I will sign up for that plan of redemption. I'll let my body be crushed and bleed, mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit being the enactor an, an actor of the virgin birth and mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And again, like you said, this is this is where it's hard because anything we're going to do is going to break down the mystery of the completeness of the triunification of God. Right. But all the the point being, in whatever way it was rendered perfectly, all the members of the Trinity are play a significant part and joyfully participate in redeeming and reconciling a broken human race back into what is life, which is life is the party, that's mm. the way I always call it, that the Trinity's having right. together within themselves. This party, this this joy of love and 
give and take and communication and oneness and unity. Mm. And they're the ones, let us bring broken humanity, flipping the bird to us, saying, we don't need you. We can construct a life for ourselves, by ourselves, on our own terms. Right, right. And they're like, yeah, well, it's not working for you. Can we bring you into the fold of what we've got going on? And that, that to me, pastorally, is where this becomes important. Mm. Yeah, and what you said makes me think of what Christ says in his prayer to the Father um, in John 17, if I've got that right, that uh, he says, you know, Father, now, as he's about to go to his death, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had. I got the wording of that wrong. Glorify me um, with the glory I had with you before the world began, which is that party you're talking about, Mm -hmm. that what's happening in the sun coming to earth is really letting us know what God has always been like, yeah, and the kind of God He really is. Um, and the reason that just lit me up so much, uh, both as a you know academic and uh, as a pastor, to the degree I uh, still function that way. Um, one of my heroes, theologically, is a guy named T.F. Torrance. I did my my doctoral research on him. He. Uh, he ended up being a professor of theology at the University of Edinburgh for um, for like three decades. But prior to that, he had been a pastor and a chaplain. Um, he, he was Scottish, so for their military, he was a chaplain and served on battlefields in World War uh, Two. Mm. And he talked about in both of those circumstances, he he, he kind of had this eerie connection between different um, you know pastoral counseling sessions, and he had uh, at least one. Anecdote I read him talk about with a with him ministering to a dying soldier on the battlefield who asks him, as he's facing his death, is is God really like Jesus? Be, you know, yeah. being able to see in the gospel this this one who says, you know, come to me, all who are yeah. all uh, weary, and they like that. Like you said, they like Jesus, but there's this suspicion, this question of whether God in Himself really is like that. Yeah. And so that was what really drove Torrance's theology and his ministry to to uh, go to the early church and their uh, development of the doctrine of the Trinity and seeing in it that heart to say, yes, what Jesus does is demonstrate for us historically as a human being the heart of the Father. He's and and because that oftentimes is where the doctrine of the Trinity gets kind of messed up. We have the idea that the Father is just this sort of bloodthirsty, wrathful, vengeful God. And what Jesus does is come sort of get in his way for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he he He's goes, just running interference like the codependent mama. Right. Which which is just a totally disastrous yeah, notion yeah. of the Trinity because you have yeah. you have father versus son, you, you know, very different uh personalities rather than, you know, there's three persons mm-hmm. of the Trinity, not three personalities. And that gets messed up a lot. And in then within that opposition people have in their minds there's the opposition between god's love and his righteousness right that like the father is righteous the son is love and those are all in conflict within god right but if we're reading the new testament straightforwardly at all we see no the father you know god so loved the world that he sent his only son he 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 sent the son because he loved not because he was wrathful that if we've seen jesus we've seen the father that whatever love we find in Jesus is exactly the love of the Father. That's what the doctrine of the Trinity is telling us, is that these uh, this very relational dynamic we see playing out in Jesus 
earthly life, that he's praying to this father, he's relying on this father, that that's actually playing out for us within within our world, um, a relation that is um, intrinsic to who God is. Yeah. That father and son have this relation of love um, and of joy and all, and all the things, all that party you're talking about. Right, right. Uh, forever so that we can so we can trust that and i would say too i think that's really good you know th- that's so moving to think about a man who's dying and is god like jesus oh my gosh you know what that's really interesting to hear that story because i think that that in fact is where a lot of people that's where the whole thing comes crashing down for people because they make the immediate conclusion no he's not right um so many people i've talked to who they can handle Jesus. Right. They can handle his teachings. They can handle what he stood for, but they will, in fact, reject God because they've concluded that, in fact, Jesus in no way represents who God is. Even though everything Jesus said and did was like, that, no, no, I, I fully represent everything God is about. Right. Well, there, there's a—and I've heard really well-meaning preachers sometimes accidentally encourage this notion— that what Jesus does in dying for our sins and removing our burden of sin and guilt is um, make it so that God can love us. Yeah. Right? Which is a really ugly picture of God. Right. If Jesus has to die so that God can love me, I don't think I really want that God to love me anyway, if that's what he needs in order to do it, which that's not at all what the gospel So the Father's all reluctant, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> right. Whereas, like I said, John three sixteen, that classic passage is telling us that, no, God sends the, sends the Son because he loves. Jesus dies on the cross for us because the Father already loves us and um, wants to be reconciled to us and wants to remove our sin from us because he loves us, not in order to be able to love us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot that gets wrapped up into these kinds of little subtle mistakes we make about the Trinity that we think we're not really thinking about the Trinity, but we oftentimes are, and we're just thinking about it badly. <laughs> so, you know, we can, as as believers and as, as folks that may attend their own um, community of faith, can can somewhat wrap our minds around and, and buy into, you brought up the, the term doctrine, right? So mm-hmm. when it comes to God being everywhere at all times, to, to knowing what's going to happen, to being all power, all these things. We may not understand every element of that, but we can kind of go, okay, I can get that. Mm-hmm. But with this concept of Trinity, it's like we're dumping a box full of puzzle pieces out <laughs> with no picture of how to put yeah. it together. Right? <laughs> and, and so when we have that, are there points that you can... Um, point to, you mentioned like the early church and even some of their dialogue over how we even got to where we're at as far as a doctrine of the Trinity. Do we see evidence of that um, within scripture? And specifically, do we see that going as far back as the old or original Testament? Trinity in the old Testament is a tricky issue. The early church actually did think they were seeing signs um, like in the let us Make man in our right. image in Genesis. I tend to think that's not the best way to read that passage, but I don't want to tell the early fathers they were wrong because a lot of them did think that was hmm. that was what was uh, going on. Um, I tend to want to just look to the New Testament mm-hmm. uh, to to exegete or you know to 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 interpret out of the Bible where the building blocks for the Trinity are. Um, and is that more out of you think that that's when God chose to start to reveal this process versus like. Hey, if it didn't exist in the Old Testament, there's not evidence of it in the Old Testament, therefore the concept of Trinity is invalid? Is it just a matter of when God chose to reveal that? 
I mean, I want to say he's he is revealing it in the Old Testament in the sense that what the Old Testament is about, I am very convinced, is Jesus. Uh, you know, the Old Testament is is giving a sort of pre-testimony to Christ before mm-hmm. he's actually on the scene. Um, it's the coming attraction. <laughs> sure. But I... It's it's in the New Testament that the dots get connected, okay. and so that we can um, you can start to speak more explicitly about the fact that God hasn't just promised to to come and to save His people and to reveal Himself. Now it's an accomplished fact, and we can look at it and say, "All right, so here's how He did that." And in doing it, He shows Himself to be triune. I think He's triune in the Old Testament. He's triune in creation. I'm just not sure. Uh, again, to use that word exegetically which I hope I can use that word. People can look it up. If it, that just means like, you know, from the text of scripture, I'm not sure the pieces are there to give us a fully formed doctrine of uh, Trinity from the Old Testament. But that's, there are people who will debate me on that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think, you know, you is it kind of, are you getting at sort of the question of how do we in some sort of way, even though we can't fully get Trinity, how, how are there right. some ways in which we can kind of yeah, sort of get our heads, put those heads puzzle pieces together if indeed yeah. we don't have that picture to work with? I mean, I think one of the ways that I would think about it is this. This this is something that we can sort of understand and then bounce and then not bounce, but then take a step from it. And that is, you know, the we believe that God has a number of what's called attributes about himself, um, things that are true about God. So, for instance, God has the attribute of mercy. He is a God who shows mercy. God also has the attribute of justice. He, he, he is a God who hands out justice and deals in justice. When you look at human beings like us, oftentimes, if you're going to look at any kind of reflection of, say, mercy and justice in us as human beings, as a species, we are almost invariably can be one, but usually at the expense of the other in our mm. character traits. Mm. So if I'm a person of justice, it's often you run into people of justice, they have no mercy. Mm. And then the people we run into in life who are filled with mercy have hardly any justice and they're sure. very codependent and right. enabling, right? But God is is not. And so, and so if you can get your head wrapped around in some degree that God is perfectly merciful and perfectly justice and never at the expense of each other, mm. just in those two attributes, mm. then you can step forward and go, okay, in some way that's that relates to the even further mystery of being a tri-unified one God in three persons mm. kind of way. So that that's one kind of that's good. kind of building block. And actually, yeah, off record here, maybe for editing out, I kind of want you to take out my entire earlier answer because now that I'm listening to you talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, now we're actually answering the question. So <laughs> what... Um, yeah, and I would say what you get out of the Old Testament for that, you know, the beginning of that sort of building block um, of, of what is being held together is God's oneness. What's clear in the Old Testament yeah. in in opposition to all the religions neighboring Israel is that there is one God. Um, mm. That uh, And the New Testament, as it starts to speak about the Father and the Son, mm-hmm. both being God and the Spirit, which... That gets uh, the the early church. That gets brought in a little bit later. Actually, they're not totally clear on that right away. Um, but as they do start to develop that out, they're clear that there's no contradiction to the Old Testament teaching that there is one God. Yeah. So as they're talking about a God who is Father sending His Son, okay. So that's clear in the Bible. That's a, that's a, some of the puzzle pieces we have. God is Father. God is Son. But there is one God because this is clearly within the stream of. Uh, of the um, 
you know, Old Testament Judaism uh, religion with no repudiation of it. Um, but then there are there are there's no fully formed doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible, but there are these couple of statements, like in the Great Commission, where you know Jesus says, "Go, you know, baptize uh, and make disciples." Sorry, go and make uh, disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just to clarify no too, bapti- baptize is is Im- immerse them in. That's what the word baptizo means. So it's immerse these people in the name, in the identity of mm. the Trinity. Yeah, you're, you're wanting to take a line against uh, those who would say that like, go actually physically baptize these people in water and therefore save them. Yeah. I get that clarification. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so at every all this little stumbling out, please. Um, but there's uh, that other spot in the New Testament at the end of Second Corinthians where Paul is kind of giving uh, the, the grace to the the church in Corinth. He says, you know, and uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the um, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Yeah, and so he's got that mm-hmm. threefold name. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's never broken down, spelled out with the language of one being or three persons using that kind of, um, those were used as fairly technical words mm-hmm. when the early church used them. So there's no, none of that technicality, but you do have that threeness in those couple of places yeah. that I think is some of the puzzle pieces the early church needed to, to, to build that doctrine of the Trinity. And I think like on the practical level where you understand the Trinity, where, where it's important is, is, is an understanding that Jesus, interestingly, when he was in the in the Gospels, you know, he didn't he didn't pray to Jesus. Doesn't mean you can't pray to Jesus theologically. He's God, but he didn't. But he talked to the yeah. Father. He <laughs> right. talked to the Father. He had this open relationship with the Father. And what we have within 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 the understanding of the Trinity, when one gives their life to Jesus Christ, it says the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives within a believer. And part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to continually cry out within us, Abba, Daddy. So it's constantly pointing us to the Father, where that Father has Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we have this ongoing, it, basically, they're the ones, they're the ones sealing our relationship with themselves, coaxing it, coaching it forward, and bringing it to its fullness, eschatologically, mm-hmm. big word we've used before, yeah. of the end, the end result of how we get to enjoy what they're enjoying and have been enjoying even before there was a world made and even before they said let us create man in our image we get to we get to enter into that and that that's where this trinity thing kind of meets me even on a daily basis like i've got a holy spirit whispering to me you got a daddy go talk to him about it i can talk to a father knowing that jesus is seated at the right hand triumphantly my conqueror over death my captain you know mm. kind of thing and that that's what i have every day yeah, it's really good. Let me, let me dovetail on a couple of things that, that was brought up. Um, one being um, how we pray, mm-hmm. right? So whom should we correctly be praying to? Yeah, Andy said— Is that the right question, should, though? Is that is that word should change it for you at all? I think it's a valid. I think it's a valid question, even if we want to kind of critique the, the question as we answer it. Like, you're—I mean— because I would want to say, um, yeah, it's not improper to pray to um, the Spirit or to the the Son. I certainly don't think God's going to plug his ears unless we get the wording right. Um, but there is something 
there is a shape to the gospel that the 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 New Testament does seem to indicate all over the place. Even um, it's not just that when Jesus prays, he prays to the Father. When they ask him, "How should we pray?" He says, "Pray like this: Our Father who art in heaven." So there is something to me really significant about the fact that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. Um, so when I pray, I do tend to pray to the Father. I tend to address the Father with that consciousness that I can only do this because the Son has gone before me and, and bears my name uh, to well, him. Well, he has shared his identity, right. his open, safe relationship within the Trinity with me in his name, right? but in the powering. Right. And the Holy Spirit is what gives me the power to do that. So can you pray to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit? Uh, I, I think, sure, absolutely. I mean, they are all God. They're equally to be uh, worshipped and adored and, and prayed to. But at the same time, the gospel does have that peculiar shape to it that I think there's something really great and strengthening about praying in that shape. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me follow up on that then. Do you feel, either one of you feel, that there is too much or not enough emphasis on any one of the members of the Trinity within the modern church? I I definitely... I feel like I get told all the time that uh, within the churches I've been involved in, there's not enough emphasis on the Holy Spirit. We should be talking about the Holy Spirit more. Um, and my response to that is usually like, sure, yeah. Like, I mean, we really, let's, to the degree that we should be talking about all of God. Uh, if we're leaving anything about God out, let's let's talk about it more. Um, I, I tend to want to, you know, I, I will oftentimes bring into those discussions, the reality that I think what what the gospel is asking me to do is to proclaim the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. And those aren't really reversible things. I don't proclaim the name of the Spirit by the power of the Son. Um, it is the name of Jesus Christ. Christ is, is the one who has taken to himself a name hmm. that is the one we are to claim and, and preach and um, be bound to. The Spirit is how... Uh, we do that. So now if if the complaint when people say that we're not talking about the spirit enough is that we're being too abstract in our talk about salvation, we're talking about Jesus who is now gone, right? He's ascended to the right hand of the father. So all of, we're just kind of talking theology. And if, and sometimes I think they mean this and I'm on board with them. We should be talking about the Holy spirit more because we should talk, be talking about the way God is here with us now and drawing his church together and proclaiming Christ. Like, how is God doing that? Um, or why aren't we doing that more? We need to be, you know, seeking the spirit because the spirit is how we are bound to Christ and how we minister in his name. If when that's kind of the emphasis that I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I'm on board. with And that. I think some of the, the, what you see, and this has probably been true throughout all of church history, but at least in my experience of being in the church in America, North America, is that the emphasis of which person of the Trinity you like most is the part of God that you most prefer. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it seems like the people that I've observed over, over the years have observed, if you're into, if you're into God's use of power, you prefer the Holy Spirit. If you're into God's use of love, you're into Jesus more. And if you're into God's use of justice, you're into the and Father. Authority. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I mean, I think the thing that we would love for people to really think through in this podcast is like, you know, first of all, having a relationship with this triunified God who passionately loved you and longed you and is called you and is drawing you 
you know, the hound of heaven that's drawing you to himself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, but then if, if you have a relationship with him, be thinking through, you know, having a relationship with the fullness of the triunified deity and, and experiencing the richness of that. Because mm-hmm. I think there's some ways in which many of us miss out on the richness. Right. Yeah, it really is the, um, the sort of co-indwelling of, of the whole Trinity together that is where the power really is. Yeah, when you break off a particular piece, I mean, and I, and I definitely, I, I think that's what's, I've seen a lot of that going on within my own church community, a, a new pressure on we need to be talking about more of the, the Holy Spirit more, and sometimes there is attached to that this somewhat magical obsession with God's power. Like right. we figure out how we can make God do the stuff we want him to do. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's not quite what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As we get ready to wrap up this episode. Um, so again, we've taken a super intellectual hmm. um, topic here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so again, going for those, those folks that would either fill the seats on a Sunday or maybe someone that doesn't personally know Jesus Christ as their Lord and savior. Hmm. Is it is it fair to say, is this a fair statement, that actually not fully understanding the concept of Trinity actually strengthens God and who God is? Yeah. We're, we're not allowed to fully wrap our minds around it. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that, aha, we're finding loopholes in theology. It could very well just mean that God is very purposeful in his magnitude and that it's something that we don't understand fully. So you mean strengthens our conception of God, not doesn't actually strengthen God himself. Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not a weakness in our faith. It's not a weakness right. in trying to prove or disprove God right. because we can't fully point to evidence or we can't fully describe it intellectually. But it does say, you know what? Maybe God is so powerful and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, again, it draw right down into the crassest turns of human physicality. We worship athletes who do astounding feats with their bodies, and we can't explain how do they do that. Mm. I mean, you kind of can. You can get down to the biomechanics, but I mean, when you're like witnessing it firsthand, and that's just on the fear physicality of the human experience, it's okay to then raise it up infinity to God who has manifested himself as this triunified God of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and know... Your faith isn't lacking because you can't quantify it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Well, not fully quantify it. Let me, yeah. No, sure. Well, yeah. I, I definitely feel like the person, the people you're talking about, people in the pew, uh, people who are just kind of approaching this topic and it's confusing for them. Yeah, no, that's, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with finding the doctrine of the Trinity a little perplexing. Um, on the other side, though, I do get nervous about people in leadership or uh, even pastors who will treat the doctrine of the Trinity as just kind of a, a weird abstract kind of, it, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's all a mystery. You can't really understand it. So they kind of put it to the side. Well, that's where a lot of damage lies. Mm-hmm. I think it's been important throughout church history that it's leadership press its mind into seeing why the who is God. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and who is God? Well, Cause of course on that level, who is God? That there's a question you could never fully reduce to words, um, and it's not that you can reduce the Trinity to words. But what's interesting about the doctrine of the Trinity is it's less a attempt to say everything about God, 
as it is, especially in its function in the early church, a set of grammatical rules for how you read the New Testament without committing heresy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 is, it is kind of more of a grammatical help. Um, now, grammar doesn't give you knowledge, right? Grammar helps you express what you know coherently. And so knowing that language of one being in three persons doesn't actually give you a, a relationship with God or give you a, a knowledge of God. But for those who have met God in Christ, the, the way the doctrine of the Trinity has developed is not going to help you say everything there is to say about God. It's just going to help you say, I, at least I think, it's going to help you say what the Bible says about God without, uh, you know, saying a bunch of nonsense without, you know, saying something right over here, but then contradicting it when you flesh it out over here, which is what we tend to do all the time. When we do talk about, you know, well, you know, I really love the Holy Spirit because that's that part of God that's this. Well, God, you broke God into parts. So the doctrine of the Trinity is going to teach you not to do that. It's going to teach you to like right, speak right. it correctly. <laughs> right, right. Makes sense. Well, gentlemen, once again, thank you. And we'll be back uh, with another episode next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Faith Community Church. Join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. for our weekly service located at 115 South Morrissey Avenue in Santa Cruz, California. For more information about upcoming events and activities, be sure to visit us online at santacruzfaith.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Faith.